Welcome back to Cargumentative. I'm your host, Thomas Faulkner, uh, from the Sunday Times and Times Live. And uh, yeah, this is a show where we discuss things, cars and, well, all things cars and automotive. Um, and I'm joined by my fellow co-hosts, uh, Brenwin Naidu from Soweto <laughs> Live um, and Sunday Times Motoring. And of course, Dennis Dropper from BD Motor News. Uh, gentlemen, how are you doing? Brenwin. Thomas, Dennis, I'm well, thanks, and uh, as always, lovely to be in the virtual studio with you, gentlemen. Yes, indeed. Dennis, how are things on your side? Yeah, all good, my side. Thank you, Thomas. Uh, nice to be behind the virtual wheel, as Brenwin said, so we're raring to go for another week of Cogumentative. Exactly, exactly we are. And, uh, you know, it's that time of the show where we discuss what's been happening in the car world, and uh, Dennis, let's, uh, let's stick with you. Um, what's been pinging on your radar? Let's start off with something that uh, gives us a good sense of home pride because our very own Gordon Murray, who was born in Durban and who has penned many uh, an exciting supercar in his past, including the McLaren F1 of the 1990s, this week finally launched his T50 supercar. And uh, he's wanted to make it a successor, a spiritual successor to the iconic McLaren F1. And so he's not going to chase Bugatti type of engine outputs. What he's done is he's adopted more of a Lotus-like approach of power to weight. So the vehicle weighs just under a thousand kilograms, which is very, very light in supercar terms. It's about 30% lighter than your average supercar. And then he's also given that a 485 kilowatt uh, engine. But the 485 kilowatts isn't as important as the fact that this engine revs to 12,100 RPM, which is essentially double what your average uh, runabout revs to. So it's a normally aspirated V12, 3.9 liter Cosworth. And he's tried to make this car all about the emotion and, and sensation and, and just the thrilling drive. So he hasn't even quoted 0 to 100 figures or top speed figure. For him, it's all about the purity of driving a supercar. So it's rear-wheel drive. Uh, it's got double wishbone front and rear suspension, manual gearbox. And I think that'll really appeal to the purist in you, Thomas. Yeah, Dennis, it, it, it absolutely does. I mean, it's, it's, um, to your, I watched a whole lengthy video on it uh, on YouTube last night. Um, and uh, Gordon Murray was interviewed and quizzed about the car. And it's it's just really cool how he's he's kind of gone almost back to basics, you know. Um, he's shunned uh, forced induction, which which I really like. I'm not a massive fan of turbochargers, um, and he's got this amazingly lightweight and focused car um, that's also usable. I mean, um, he kind of explained that um, a car needs to be driven and, and can be driven on a day to day basis, um, and that's what he's done. With um, with the T50, I mean, it can seat three people. It's got some luggage space. It's got air conditioning that works. It's got an infotainment system. Um, it has enough ride height to not scrape and bump over speed bumps and stuff like that. So, not only like is it incredibly fast and very focused, it's it's also a very livable car. 
Um, and I kind of like the fact that he that that they haven't quoted you know performance figures like zero to a hundred and maximum speed because you know at the end of the day it doesn't really matter to Gordon Murray. Um, he just wants the car to be about um, the whole driving experience and what it feels like to drive. Um, and it was quite interesting in in uh, in the interview I listened to last night. Um, he said that in the F1. The fastest he ever went in one was about 225 k's an hour. You know, so it's not all about raw figures, which is which is what appeals to me. Um, Brenwin, you said you were reading up on this on this car this morning. What stands out from your perspective? Yeah, well, I think uh, you know the amount of of goodwill and excitement surrounding this car by the petrolhead fraternity is, is fantastic, really, and I like how authentic it is to the original uh, F1 concept right down to that three-seater configuration. And um, I stand to be corrected, but I read that the, you know, the engine block itself of that car weighs something over, over uh, I think just slightly over 140 kilograms or something. Um, so yeah, definitely in keeping with that whole Colin Chapman approach of, of adding lightness. You know, it would be fantastic to get a turn in, in this creation of Gordon Murray, but yeah, I don't know if it'll happen, but good to dream, I suppose. It absolutely is. Um, look, I mean, they're only building 125 examples, um, of which 100 are going to be uh, road cars. The remaining 25 are going to be used for um, certain racing exploits. And, I mean, the price is just, you know, next level. You've got to be a member of the Illuminati to be able to afford one of these things. Um it's apparently 2.36 million pounds before taxes. So uh, work that out into rands, and it's just over 53 million rand. So, uh, yeah, I doubt any of us are going to be invited to drive one anytime soon. Yeah, uh, probably not. It's a is... special prize for a special car. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, yeah, that's been really cool to see. What else has been happening, guys? Brenwin, anything uh, in your corner that's sparked interest? Yes, well, something a little more down-to-earth uh, is the Renault Sandero, which, you know, I think we can all agree that it's a competent offering if you're shopping in, in the budget B-segment aisle. And in Stepway, guys, particularly, the package becomes a lot more uh, compelling to buyers with its outdoors venturous pretenses. And this week, the brand launched the, uh, the 2020 Tech Road version uh, with enhanced specification, and that includes two-tone alloys, bespoke decals and badges, and a revised upholstery design, really minor, but the big uh, trump card of the Sandero has always been a generous standard specification. And uh, I mean, with the Tech Road, you get navigation, cruise control, Apple CarPlay, Android Auto functionality uh, with that infotainment system, and a reverse camera. It costs 243,900 Rand, which is the same as the Stepway Plus. And further down the line, I'll be doing a comparative with this car and recently launched Auto Freestyle. So have a look out for that. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll definitely do that. I mean, I kind of enjoy these cars, these sort of uh, slightly more rugged versions of everyday hatchbacks and always been a fan of the Stepway. It's a good little car. I don't know what you think about it, Dennis. The Sandero Stepway, I found quite a vibey little city runabout. It doesn't fall into that sort of run-of-the-mill generic mold. It's got some reasonably attractive styling that'll attract younger buyers. So I think people who are starting out on their automotive journey uh, could do a lot worse. Yeah, 
I tend to agree. Um, nice car to drive for what it is. Good little engine. I like that turbocharged motor inside the stepway, especially up here. And yeah, for a, for a first-time car or if you're downscaling, really makes a lot of sense. Um, just thinking what else has been happening, guys. Um, motorsport, Marquez, uh, we all know he broke his arm two weeks ago and then underwent surgery, then tried to make a comeback the week after, which didn't go too well. Uh, he's now had surgery for a second time to replace a damaged plate inside his arm, and uh, he's out for this week's MotoGP. So, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen there. Dennis, do you think he's going to miss out on more races this season, or do you think he'll bounce back? Well, let's try not to use the term bounce too much, because unfortunately <laughs> it's a bounce with a gravel track that... Uh, gravel trap that caused him to break his arm but we, we know Marquez is a is a riding genius so you know that when he does get back on that bike he's going to be right at the sharp end of the grid so it is a shortened season because of the COVID-19 pandemic but I think he'll be back probably after you know not not this race but the next one and he's going to be right in contention again but now that he's out this weekend maybe it'll give up own homeboy uh, Brad Binder a bit of a chance to to grab some points. Unfortunately, he's been doing his fair share of bouncing through gravel traps uh, in his debut season of MotoGP. So hopefully this weekend he can get it together. His lap times certainly have been impressive. He just needs to stay on the black stuff for the duration of the race. Yeah, totally. Look, I mean, it must be incredibly stressful. You know, it's your first season in MotoGP. Um, uh, you know, you've got a lot to prove. There's a lot of weight on your shoulders, um, you know. So hopefully he can just calm down and get into the groove and, uh, yeah, deliver some more consistent results going forward. Guys, the clock is ticking and uh, we're going to take a break. But we'll be back shortly uh, to discuss some more industry news. Join me, Nicole Engelbrecht, your host on True Crime South Africa a weekly podcast that covers both solved and unsolved South African true crime cases. Welcome back to Cargumentative. It's the beginning of a new month, August. The months are just flying by, even though that we uh, are living this weird Groundhog Day existence, thanks to uh, COVID-19. And uh, Dennis, you're quite good with figures and numbers, and you've got some news about uh, car sales in July. Yeah, it hasn't been too rosy a picture for the car industry Initially, when uh, motor dealers opened after lockdown, the sales took off at, at quite a good rate and it was looking positive. But now sales have flattened out. For the month of July, passenger car sales declined by 35.8% compared to July 2019. And that's mostly because the car rental industry contributed a, a very small percentage of that compared to July last year. And this is because the tourism sector is still under lockdown restrictions. Commercial vehicles last month they did a little bit better, but also fell nearly 20% compared to July last year. So the sales figures are down about 30%. And this is what all the industry experts are predicting that is, is going to prevail for the remainder of the year. 
the one thing that consumers have going for them is that uh, interest rates have uh, dropped. So at least cars, from that point of view, are a little bit more affordable, even though prices have gone up. But uh, yeah, at, at the moment, I think people are thinking of more important things than buying new cars. Yeah, totally. I think coming out of the initial lockdown period, people were a lot more confident. They thought, okay, well, this is, you know, it's ending. Let's get back on the new car train and, and maybe buy that car I've had my eye on for, um, you know, and um, it's proving to be tough out there. Uh, people are still under salary cuts. Uh, staff are being furloughed. So, as you say, a new car isn't really on the top of the priority list at the moment. Is there any word of, of what's been happening on the second-hand side of things? Uh, second-hand cars are doing fairly well. Uh, I mean, the, the ratio of used to new vehicle sales is now 2.3 to 1. So that means for every new car that is uh, sold, 2.3 used vehicles are sold. Obviously, there's a shift in the, in the market to, to cheaper cars. And this is partly because new vehicle prices have risen about 6.5% in the second quarter of the year. And that's the first above inflationary increase since 2017. And it's also a sharp spike of a 3.1% increase in the second quarter of last year. So that has led to a consumer trend to buy cheaper cars. Uh, that is partly being cushioned by the interest rate uh, being lower. But, uh, yeah, I think, as you said, the... Uh, Salary cuts and retrenchments, etc., are really putting people under pressure. And uh, Dennis, I mean, like, what about um, the increase in vehicle prices? What can you tell us about that? Second quarter of this year, the, the price hikes were six point five percent. That's for that's for new vehicles, and that's partly why uh, more people are looking at at used vehicles at the moment. Some manufacturers and importers are predicting uh, double digit inflationary increases for for new cars in the coming months so so that's quite scary yeah that is and i mean do you have any um any examples i mean have you got like a an example of a of a new car price prior to these increases yeah thomas i don't have i don't have that info in front of me but what i can tell you mm. uh that bmw for instance uh, just after coming out of lockdown raised its prices across the board by 9%, with the exception of the 5 Series, which, which is soon going to be replaced. So that's quite a major increase. And those are the kind of increases we, are, we can expect in, in the coming months. And Hyundai, for instance, has said that we can expect double digits, over 10% price increases going forward. So even though people are starting to buy down, uh, the message is still that uh, if you do want to buy, uh, rather buy now because in the next few months, new car prices are going to go up even more. Brenwin, you've been a bit quiet in your corner. Um, anything to sort of add into this whole um, price hike situation? Yes, well, well, just weighing in on this discussion, um, the inference I get is that things are not going to get any better anytime soon. Um, I remember reading a quote from Mark Domessa, chairman of the National Automobile Dealers Association. We had him on the show uh, some time ago. He said that he forecasts that a minimum of one or two years will pass before the market sees any improvement in new vehicle sales. So that's that's quite concerning. Um, and a couple of weeks back, advisory services from Deloitte released a survey that they did on the automotive value chain in South Africa. They spoke to uh, manufacturers, dealerships, and other stakeholders. 
And only 53% uh, of the respondents said they were hopeful that business activities will return to normal next year. So, yeah, many speed bumps in the road to recovery. That's it. Yeah, TransUnion recently did a financial hardship research study. And it shows that consumers are around 7,000 rand short on their budgets every month on average at the moment. And that's more than the cost of ownership of an entry-level car. So this might keep a lot of people out of the car market for even longer. Yeah, scary stuff. Doesn't paint a very uh, rosy picture, does it, guys? Um, But hopefully we will see uh, a return to some semblance of normality within the coming year or so. We're going to take a break, and we'll be back with you guys shortly. Would I buy a hover? <laughs> but you see, like, you can't beat the diesel. Though. I'll take the petrol over the diesel any day. <laughs> Tune in to Cargumentative every Monday morning on Times Live Motoring. You can join myself, Thomas Faulkner, and my regular gang of automotive misfits as we discuss motoring news, views, and, of course, have a cargument or two. That's Cargumentative, only on Times Live Motoring. Welcome back to Cargumentative. It's that time of the show where we discuss with you all what we've been driving and uh, cars we're looking forward to getting behind the wheel of. And uh, let's start off with Brenwin. What's been in your garage? Yes, well, I, uh, I want to talk today about, uh, about sleepers. And as our audience undoubtedly knows, uh, a sleeper is basically a car with a modest outward appearance that packs impressive performance. And the Audi A6 lineage represents the idea quite well. Uh, it's a conservative sedan with serious heat under the hood. I mean, if you guys can remember when they put uh, a Lamborghini V10 in the third generation car. Um, and I recently had a turn in, in the 2020 version uh, and learned that it lives up to that quick yet inconspicuous ethos of its forebears. Power comes from a 2.9-liter twin-turbocharged V6 engine. And that's, uh, that's a, a motor that's been used in uh, Porsche products as well as the RS4 Avant and RS5. And you get 331 kilowatts, 600 uh, newton meters, and a claimed sprint time of 4.5 seconds. Uh, it costs upwards 1.4 million rand. Great car, of course, uh, but I doubt many people are going to buy into its subtle charms because for the same money, you could easily go the SUV route within the Audi stable. But uh, if you like your classical performance luxury sedan template, then it's worth a look. I really like that car. I mean, I haven't driven the new one, but uh, I drove the S6 back in, I think it was 2015, and really enjoyed that car. I liked its sort of under-the-radar looks. It had really good performance, um, excellent engine. It was just a, you know, kind of like a, a smart, understated performance saloon. So, yeah, I'm actually quite keen to get behind the wheel of this new one. Uh, Dennis, have you had a chance behind this new Audi S6? I unfortunately haven't had a chance to drive the new S6. That honor went to our colleague, Puti, who has written the road test for Business Day Motor News. But hopefully I'll get my chance to drive it soon. I've really enjoyed uh, this format. And 
I'm always going on about how there's not enough sedans being sold in this country, especially super sedans like this. I, I'm a big fan of them, and I wish people would uh, more buyers would look at these kind of cars rather than everyone running off to SUVs all the time. Yeah, I totally agree. Having said that, um, I've been driving a uh, BMW X4 M competition, which um, I really enjoyed. You know, I wasn't expecting to enjoy this car, but uh, I had it for about uh, three days, and it, it really impressed me. I mean, it's, it's big, it's imposing, it stands out, people see you coming, they get out of your way. Um, and for a car that's that's so big and burly, it, it actually handles pretty darn well. And I must say, I kind of enjoyed it more than I did driving a, a BMW M3 or a BMW M4. Um, and it seems that BMW, you know, when it comes to focused performance cars, what they really do best are these these SUVs, which will upset a lot of purists. But uh, you know, it's become their forte in a way. Um, I don't know if you guys have had this car on test. Yeah, Thomas, I, I have. I, I'm interested to know what uh, what about it made you enjoy driving it more than, say, an M3 or M4? I guess because um, it just kind of suits Johannesburg roads more, you know. it's um, You've got that slightly higher seating position, um, and you can see over traffic, you can see around corners better. You know, we kind of don't spend our lives going around tracks. Uh, we don't live down in the Cape where we spoilt with amazing driving roads like Frontier Pass and roads like that. And uh, up in Joburg, I just, yeah, the X4 just really worked for me as an everyday kind of performance car, you know, and, and it's it's incredibly fast. I love that new engine i think it's the s58 engine that's going to be in the new uh, upcoming m4 and m3 models uh, great gearbox and it was just a, a really explosive package i know that you drove them on launch dennis around a track how did they perform i i didn't actually drive them around a track thomas i just drove it on, on normal road oh, okay. uh, I was, uh, yeah and i was generally quite impressed with it although i just felt that it's Sort of the mid-range punch wasn't quite what I'd expected of, of that particular engine. I felt that it was just a little laggy in the mid-range. I don't know if you found the same. I don't know. I mean, um, I, you know, just before I drove the X4M competition, I had a, a two-series Grand Coupe, which was, which was pretty quick for what it is. So, you know, moving up into the X4, it was just uh, like this, this explosion of power. I mean, it was it was maybe a little bit laggy at, at lower RPMs, but um, as soon as those turbos came on song, it just you know propels itself along at a at an incredible rate of knots. It kind of seems to enjoy revving out, you know, which is which is not always the case in these uh, turbocharged motors. So that was that was quite a nice feature of it. Brenwin, I don't know if you've had a, a turn in this car. Um, I, I haven't, unfortunately. Uh, when I was supposed to, to, to have a go, uh, the unit, unit that I was supposed to receive was unfortunately damaged. But, uh, but I've, been reading, yeah, I've been reading some really mixed, mixed reviews about, about uh, the X3 and X4 um, twins. Uh, you know, on one hand, people say the usability and, you know, the, the increased ground clearance and all the rest makes it quite um, a sensible M car. But then on the other hand, you know, there's, 
is the camp of the purists who are vehemently uh, against the concept altogether. Um, I must say, I, I find the prospect of, of MSUVs, I'm just really indifferent towards them, I won't lie. Like, we drove the, the X5 and X6Ms recently at SWAT Corps, and yeah, you know, they, they were really muted uh, and extremely uncomfortable on, on regular roads, and even on the track, you were constantly aware of the fact that these cars are heavy. So, uh, call me a boring rock spider, I suppose, but I still believe that archetypal M car needs to be a coupe or a sedan and I think my favorite M car to to this day is it's got to be the M2 uh, competition package yeah look I mean I haven't driven the M2 competition I've driven the standard M2 when it when it first came out and uh, to me that was the best M car BMW um, you know managed to cobble together since the I think like the E92 M3 and since then, they've just kind of lost a lot of the focus, you know. Um, and I mean, in my mind, they're no longer making the ultimate driving machines. You know, I didn't enjoy the M4. I didn't enjoy the M3. M2 was a redeemer. And, you know, I didn't like the M6. So M2 aside, I mean, I've, I've always kind of been impressed by, by how they make these big, powerful SUVs. Um, I like the x5m as well you know i wouldn't i wouldn't necessarily buy these cars i wouldn't want to have them in my garage but um i think bmw do them well and there's definitely a a market out there for them you know and um it's no surprise to see them sell in the quantities that they do you know here and in in overseas markets dennis i know you're getting a, a chance to drive the the bmw m8 Yes, Thomas, I, I'm now that you're on the subject of various M-badged BMW models, I'm going to be taking delivery of an M8 competition tomorrow, all 460 kilowatts of it. I'm going to be taking it to Gerotec and stripping on a V-box and seeing if we can extract the 3.2-second to 100 time that the factory claims. And we're also going to take it around the handling circuit to see how this car handles, because unlike the nip and tuck agility of the M2 that we've just been discussing, this is a much larger, heavier car. So it'll be interesting to see how it does in the the twisty confines of a handling circuit. Yeah, I'm quite keen to hear what uh, you have to say about that. I mean, it is a a monstrous car. Uh, Again, I haven't actually driven an 8 Series. Um, I've walked around one. Um, It's quite a hefty piece of kit, that. Um, so it, it'll be quite interesting to hear how they've managed to make this thing uh, more focused. So, yeah. When's that article coming out, Dennis? Is, is it going to come out next week? That'll most likely be next week's uh, Motor News, yes. Um, cool. I know this is a completely subjective issue, but I'm a big fan of the 8 Series styling. Uh, I know that it's been a, a bit of a subject of debate, but I think they've just got the, the proportions right and the, the silhouette, and it just looks grand. It looks it just looks like a sense of occasion. I don't know what you guys think about it. I agree. It's a good-looking car. You know, I think it's probably the best-looking modern BMW available in the lineup. If you park it next to the new 4 Series especially, it just, you know, it, it really pops. Uh, Brenwin, I don't know, you know, what your thoughts are. 
Yeah, no, uh, look, the, the new 8 Series is definitely a car with uh, heaps of presence, and I think um, it's really translated well into four-door uh, format as well, because I, I know Dennis had the, the Grand Coupe recently, and I, I also had a few days in that car, uh, and in that spec that the, the test unit was, beautiful blue paint, uh, alloys had a slight shine to them, uh, more of a, a chrome finish, and uh, it just it really looked regal nice so I, I like that word <laughs> regal the regal beagle um and brenwin staying with you uh anything anything cool coming in that that you're going to be test driving well on the test front nothing uh, really remarkable um, on the horizon let me rather say i've i've actually got a string of, of relevant cars coming up you know, cars that that most south africans like all of us, we'll be able to afford sensible hatchbacks. Um, I'm really looking forward to the Suzuki Ignis that I'll be getting soon. Uh, Ford Vigo Freestyle, as I mentioned um, earlier. I've got a Mazda 2 coming in next week. Um, so I'm, I, I think it's about time because I've been having a maybe an, an, an overly excessive high-end run recently with the Porsche Cayman, uh, Mustang Bullet, and that Audi S6. So... Yeah, time to, to do my job properly. Exactly, exactly. Drive real cars <laughs> for real people. Yeah. Nice one. Well, guys, uh, we've run out of time. Uh, it's been good catching up with you. Uh, it's been good chatting and discussing, uh, you know, all the latest news and chatting about things we've been driving. Um, so, yeah. Again, thanks for joining us here on Cargumentative. We'll be back with another episode next week. And until then, keep it safe out on the roads, guys. Cheers.